Thank you again for this opportunity to speak to you from God's Word. Why don't I just pray before we start? Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the opportunity that you give us to hear from your Word. We just pray, Father, that you give us uh, a mind to understand and ears to hear so that we might put this into action in our lives and give honour and glory to you in this world. Amen. Now, when I get asked, what's it like to be back in Australia, one of the things that comes uh, to mind is how much people back here in Australia are in such a rush to get somewhere. Contrast that with life in the Philippines, where it's common to wait in traffic for three to four hours just to get 10 kilometres, to go 10 kilometres, where you can wait half a day at a government department to find out that you'll actually need to come back the next day to get everything done, and where it takes about three months to get the mail that you want to send me. Okay, it takes time. See, waiting in the Philippines, it's really just part of life. And when I think of our ministry to Muslims in the Philippines, it involves a bit more waiting. See, it's a very long-term ministry because of the level of suspicion and sometimes the animosity directed to Christians. And so I find that under God, we have to wait for relationships and for trust to develop for, the, uh, for gospel opportunities to, uh, to open up. Now, I must admit, when you hear that, you know, it, it doesn't sound particularly productive. After all, we're used to getting results now. And sometimes we even have a sense of entitlement, that things should happen quickly. But when I think about it, waiting is part of life, even as a Christian. See, we ask and we wait for God's guidance. We pray and we wait for God to act in our lives and in the uh, lives of others. In fact, God's people have always been characterized by waiting. Abraham and Sarah are the prime examples. And even now, the church itself is a community that waits for the return of the Lord Jesus to complete all his promises and to bring us home to heaven. See, understand, waiting is an, un is an unavoidable experience of being God's people. So as a result, I've been mean, spending a lot of time thinking how do you go about waiting for the Lord? Because when you have to wait a long time, it's easy to waste time, it's easy to lose focus, and it makes us much more vulnerable to being led astray. In which case, consider the message of Second Peter chapter 3. Now, this is the second letter... Uh, uh, second one written to this particular group of communities. And here in chapter 3, Peter states his intentions. Chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, chapter th uh, sorry, chap 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord and Savior through our apostles. Now, Going back to chapter 1, his urgent concern is he doesn't want them to fall away in chapter 1, verse 10. More, more specifically here in chapter 2, uh, sorry, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
verse 3, Peter is worried about people who he refers to as scoffers or mockers. They are false prophets and teachers that he refers to earlier in in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, who are bringing in destructive heresies, who are blaspheming the way of truth, and who are seeking to exploit them. So the desire to remind and to stir up their thinking is actually to correct and protect them from these false prophets and teachers. Now, we don't exactly know who these people are specifically, but we do know how they are seeking to mislead people and lead others to uh, lead others astray. So chapter 3, verse 4, the first part. They are saying, quite mockingly, where is the promise of his coming? See, essentially they're pointing to the failure of Jesus' imminent return. After all, Jesus did seem to say that he would come back sooner rather than later. So, for example, I'll read them out to you. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And later on in Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now I must admit, it may be a little hard for us to sympathise with this particular community with, you know, what's their problem with uh, this delay. After all, when you look at the text, it's quite brief. It doesn't actually say too much. It doesn't give much detail as to what the specific problems are. But we can appreciate the situation by reflecting on some of the things Peter says to them, to these same people, in his first letter. So, for example, when Peter advises them in his first letter, in chapter 4, verse 14, to count being insulted in the name of Christ as a blessing, it implies that he is addressing a community that is under a lot of pressure from outsiders. Actually, even earlier on in chapter 1 of his first letter, it begins by saying uh, he addresses them as those who are elect exiles. NIV, I think, has strangers, but exiles is, is a more appropriate term. And when you think about exiles, it implies that they are a small and marginalized community. And so to this marginalized and oppressed community, he, go, he goes on in chapter 1 of his first letter. In verse 3, he comforts and encourages them with the hope of the resurrection, which secures for them, in the words of 1 Peter 1 verse 4, an inheritance that is imperishable or does not fade. The implication, according to chapter 1 of Peter, verse 6, is that whatever suffering and hardship they might have now is only for a brief or a little while. Because think about it, if your life, because of the resurrection, extends into eternity, how long really is your life here in this world? It's only about that much. Therefore, likewise, their troubles are likewise brief and only for a little while. Now, to a people under pressure from the majority culture, this, this fact is great news. 
And to the people we're trying to reach in the Philippines, this is effectively the gospel I preach to them, the hope of the resurrection. Now, to the people that, that's being referred to in, in Peter, uh, Peter's epistles, the failure of Jesus' imminent return does seem to discredit this message of hope. Because if they have to wait a little bit longer for Jesus' return, it doesn't merely cast Jesus' words into doubt. It calls into question whether God really cares for them. Because why doesn't he act now? So when the, these mockers say in, cha, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, the second part, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What they're actually saying is they're actually questioning God's righteousness because they are calling into question God's willingness to act in the affairs of the world and bring justice for his beleaguered people. See, when you think about it this way, it's easier to imagine how damaging these mockers and scoffers can be to the faith of an entire community because they are taking advantage of people who are vulnerable by sowing seeds of doubt, by calling into question God's righteousness and willingness to act on behalf of his people. And so as a result, they are actually feeding feelings of abandonment that leads others to despair and possibly even fall away. That's why in verse 5 to 6 of chapter 3, Peter says, or makes it quite clear, that it is a mistake to think that God is inactive and unwilling to act in the affairs of the world. So chapter, uh, so verse 5 and 6 says, For they deliberately overlook or suppress this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by means of these, the, word that, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. See, Peter's point is that God's word created the world in the beginning. And by that same word, God caused a flood that deluged the entire world. Now, that flood, according to Genesis 6 to 7 was essentially an act of purification to cleanse the world, of, uh, the world of human sinfulness, which has spread over the face of all creation. So in verse 7, God will likewise purify the world again from all unrighteousness, but not with water. Next time, he will be with fire to judge the world. So in short, Peter is saying, make no mistake. God has acted before, and God will not fail to act again to bring justice for the oppressed and justice against the oppressor, because there will be a day of reckoning. So chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Furthermore, Peter says, uh, sees the fact that Jesus, that sees the fact that Jesus hasn't returned. He, he doesn't see it as a negative. He actually sees it as a positive. Verse 9, he says, God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, when you take verse 8 to 10 together, 
Peter's point is that the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet doesn't need to lead you to doubt about God's character or his desire to fulfill his purposes. Because it's not going to be late according to his time scale. The time will certainly come, even if it seems longer than what Jesus' word initially suggested or might suggest. Now, I, might, I must admit, to a people in need, verses 8 to 10 doesn't offer much of an explanation as to why Jesus has not yet returned. But Peter does force them to focus on patient reliance on his sovereignty to fulfill what he has spoken according to his time. So if in your time of need you find yourself waiting to have your prayers answered, in the absence of an explanation or a reason, take a lead from what Peter is saying. Balance your impatient prayers with patient reliance on him, acknowledging his sovereignty in addressing the petitions you have raised to him. Because waiting, ultimately, doesn't need to lead you down to a road of doubt, of despair, as you wait. In saying that, for these believers, the issue of waiting does raise questions about how one copes with the delay, and what they are to do while they wait. To which Peter answers in verse 11 to 12, in the middle part of, of, of those two verses. He says they are to conduct their lives in holiness and godliness while they wait for the coming day of, the, uh, day of God. Why, you might ask? Have a look at the first part of verse 11. Since all things are to be dissolved... And then the last part of verse 12, it says, Because the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So the principle according to verse 14 is, Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace with God. See, the reality of future judgment dictates how we are to live now as we wait. We are to live now in light of and ready for the fact that God will one day judge the world. So when we come back to that question, how do we go about waiting for the Lord so that we don't just waste our time, so that we don't lose our focus, so that we don't become vulnerable to being led astray? We wait by looking to the future reality of the day of the Lord and focus on it. And that points us to wait now in diligent holiness and godliness, anticipating the future day where righteousness and God's, judgment, uh, God's justice will be real. See, we wait by living life each day in light of and ready for the return of Christ as judge of the world. Now, you might be wondering, given the reality that people will be judged on the day of Jesus' return, why is there a, uh, a concern for godly living now, yet it doesn't seem to have any urgency or encouragement to proclaim the gospel to save people who, at the moment, are, are going to perish? Now, I don't think Peter is neglecting mission at all at this point, and I think it's because the ethical quality of God's people 
and mission to the lost are actually very much connected. See, I'm reminded of what Peter said about his, ten- his intent for choosing Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19. See, he says there, For I have chosen him. For what purpose? For the purpose that he should instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. For the purpose that God might bring about for Abraham what he had spoken to him, which is blessing to the nations. Notice how, in, 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 just in that verse, God chooses to use the holy, just, and godly conduct of God's people as the means of fulfilling his purposes and blessings for the nations. So understand, God chooses to use our dedication to godliness, to right living, and justice for others to serve his purposes and of furthering his kingdom. Because ultimately, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, righteousness and justice will be the hallmarks of the next world. But again, you might be thinking, why the urgent need and emphasis to godly and holy living now for God's people? Why is this the particular emphasis for this particular community? I think, firstly, it's because it serves as an important point of differentiation. See, in, this, in the case here, it's be, they, uh, he, wants them in, he wants them to be different from the mockers and the scoffers who are described in chapter 3, verse 3 of 2 Peter as intent on follow, following their own sinful desires. And secondly, look at the implication of Jesus' return. Verse 10. Notice how the day of the Lord is when our works that are done on this world are exposed or disclosed for final judgment. Now, Peter is not alone in making this point. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he says that Paul's letters also speak of these matters. Because even for Paul... The basis of final judgment is works. See, Romans chapter 2, verse 6 says, just listen to it. He will render or judge each one according to his works. And later on, Paul uh, says in Romans 13, 11 to 14, just listen to it. For the salvation, or that is future deliverance, is nearer now than when we first believed. So then, in anticipation of this, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires." Now, this is just one example. There are many more examples in Paul's Paul's letters. But notice how future expectation of the final day must shape our life now, to godly living now, to holy lives now. Now, don't be confused. For Paul, salvation is by grace alone. Make no mistake of that. But the basis of final judgment will be by works 
As a result, we are to live each day with the reality that one day our works in this world will be judged when the Lord returns. Therefore, we are to conduct our lives in holiness and in godliness as we wait for the coming of the day when God returns. Because our future must shape how we live today and as we wait for the return of our Lord. Now, when you think about it, in our culture, waiting patiently is not something that we're often used to or expected to. Uh, We're not expected to wait. And when we look forward to the future, it's only in anticipation of the next iPhone release or only to consider and worry about whether we have enough super for retirement. But as followers of Jesus, we must look beyond these things and remember who we are and how we are to live in this world because we are a people who wait in hope for a better future and we are a people who know and wait for the day when the works done on this world will be exposed and judged so tomorrow and this week and into the future when in the busyness of life you find yourself waiting in traffic or waiting in a queue and you start to get impatient and frustrated. Stop and take a deep breath. And before you give someone a piece of your mind, take a lead from Peter's words in chapter 3, verse 18, and use the situation as an opportunity to be different and to give honour to him by growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus to those around you. Because as followers of Christ, waiting in hope for the new world, we should aim to be the sort of people who can enter that new world, rather than the sort of people who are rushing to perish with the old world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are saved by grace alone. But Father, we we know and understand that we still live in this world. We still struggle with our sinful desires. And we know, Father, that on, on the day of judgment, you will expose all the things you have, uh, that we have done in this world, both good and bad. And, Father, we just pray to honour you and to give glory to you now and in this world and to declare who you are to this world. We just pray that you would help us to live life as an example of godliness and holiness. Uh, We just pray, Father, that you would help us to be diligent in these matters. And we just pray, Father, as you promised uh, through your words to Abraham, that you would use our our godly living, our ethical choices, and use it to further your kingdom in this world and to declare your blessings to this world. So we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.